The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of homegrown, on-demand audio to help you look to God daily. You can listen to Faith and Fostering with Christians chatting about foster care in an Australian context. Plus, be encouraged by Pastor Terry Nightingale's four-minute devotions with new episodes added each week in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I ended up at the end of that year deciding that I would go and volunteer at an NGO in Thailand for a couple of months that was working with young men uh, who were living and working in the in the red light districts in Chiang Mai and I did that really just because I knew I needed to get some perspective and to stop focusing on my own stuff and I guess invest into young people who were facing much more difficult circumstances than I was. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have one that has a very serious side to it, as well as a very fun side. Adrian Rouse is the founder of something that involves playing marathon games of ping pong. They're called ping pongathons, and Adrian is affectionately known as the director of Pong. And the reason he has people playing ping pong for long periods of time is to raise money for something that's very serious, and that is to combat human trafficking and the exploitation of young people in Southeast Asia. How did Adrian become the founder of such a unique fundraising type ministry? We'll find out today as he has a chat with Karen Hunt. Adrian, currently you are the founder of The Pong, essentially a ping pong a thon. But besides focusing on that, you're currently a professional house sitter. You're also a passionate activist for the cause of freedom from sexual exploitation in Thailand. Some would say you're an abolitionist. That's an often misunderstood word, I guess, but I'm passionate about seeing people freed from situations where they've been trafficked or where they're being exploited. You've spent a couple of years yourself as the director of a small NGO in Thailand. We'll talk more about that soon, though. Let's start in your early days. Now, as young age, little Adrian, you didn't always live on a houseboat, though, did you? No, no. I um, I was a pastor's son, so often um, that means you move around a lot and mm-hmm. live in lots of different places. But I was really lucky. I grew up and lived in the same home for about the first 20 years or so of my life. So, yeah, just grew up in a church in the um, northwestern suburbs of Melbourne and um, had a pretty uneventful childhood, I guess. <laughs> uneventful, um, really? Yeah, well, was pretty happy and um, played a lot of tennis. We had tennis courts next door and was into music, just doing all the stuff that kids are meant to do, I guess, as they grow up. So faith was an integral part of your life or were you the kind of kid that, well, that's dad's job and I'm really not that involved at all? Yeah, look, I guess the context of growing up in a Christian family was one that that I really had a lot of different things imparted to me and by way of my values and from a really young age, I guess I had a desire to serve God with my life in however I could and um, the ways that I was gifted to do so. And I guess that really kind of led me to working with young people mm-hmm. um, for probably the first 15 or so years of my uh, working life. 
So when you left school, did you study youth work or you just found yourself naturally involved in helping and caring for young people? What happened? Yeah, look, I'd been involved for quite some time at my um, my local church and leading young people in the youth group and mm-hmm. leading on um, camps and all that kind of thing. And I guess when I left school, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. I went to uni for a year and worked a couple of different jobs for uh, another year or so and just really wasn't quite sure where I was going to find my fit. Um, I'd always been passionate about music but kind of my parents had always said oh it's kind of hard to make a living in music so I wasn't sure where to go and how to, how to move forward but um, I had an opportunity when I turned 21 to join a, a band that travelled all over Australia mm-hmm. and basically um, I guess helped um, kids in schools just have a positive experience of Christians. We didn't go into schools and preach, but we went into schools and played music that the kids actually enjoyed, much to their surprise Mm. sometimes. Mm. And, um, yeah, just shared about life and some of the issues that we all face in life as Mm. young people. And ministering through music uh, can be just such a a great outreach in itself. There's a language of music that young people can identify with. So that particular band, Corazon? Was that the band? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Now, is that a part of, uh, I know, EP, Endless Praise, is that connected with those guys? Uh, not connected, but it's a similar kind of concept, I guess. So, um, yeah, we had members come and go, but I was in it for four years, and by the end of that, I was ready for a bit of a break and to have a permanent home and do life in a bit more of a settled space. But, um, other than living on a bus and unpacking a truck every uh, day, a couple of times a day with all of our gear and lots of performances. It's a different way to live, particularly. Yeah, living on the road. Great opportunity, though. Great life experience. But you just mentioned about wanting to settle. Currently, you're not sitting a house. You're you're sitting a boat. You're (laughs) house-sitting a house boat. Tell us your current living arrangement and why is that so? Yeah, look, I'm uh, I'm living on a catamaran at the moment. Um, It's not one that I own. I've been very lucky to have some friends who um, have allowed me to call it home for a few months. And I guess I um, I've been doing house sitting uh, since I got back from Thailand about a year and a bit ago, um, just as a way to be able to I guess fund um, the things that I'm passionate about at this moment. So I guess I've always right back from those days when I joined the band and lived on the road for four years, I've mm-hmm. probably always been a bit of a nomad mm-hmm. and um, have found creative ways to live to be able to do what I am really feel called to and what I feel passionate about. Calling and passion, the best things in life. So after a number of years, you actually went to Bible college, met and married a young lady. Tell us what happened in your journey. Yeah, look, um, I got married uh, near the end of my time in Corazon and uh, we went to Bible college together. We were involved in, I guess, uh, youth ministry in all sorts of different contexts. Um, For a time, we spent three years or so um, working as youth and young adult pastors in a church in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really kind of happy memories of those times and that opportunity to minister to people. And speaking of ministering, you took the initiative and you started your own youth-focused organisation, not just youth, but you were saying youth and young men in particular? 
Yeah, that's right. I guess I saw a need as I was just doing normal youth pastoring and um, particularly for young men within churches to begin speaking about issues around sexuality. So we spent a lot of time helping young men figure out um, how to do life in a world that is really sex saturated. Mm. Uh, we looked a lot at the issues around pornography particularly and just mm-hmm. helping helping churches and helping young men within churches to be able to have a healthy conversation around those sorts of issues. And what was your wife's part in that? Um, look, she was really just incredibly supportive of that. You know, she's brilliant at hospitality and catering and making people feel welcome. Kind of a lot of our events, she would be behind the scenes making great food and um, making people feel welcome. It was a, a big team effort. But life had a turn. Are you willing to share with us what happened relationally? Yeah, sure. Um, we moved um, interstate for the last couple of years of our marriage and we really did that just to slow down a bit. We were both operating at pretty hectic and chaotic paces mm-hmm. um, within our respective work and you know as life sometimes happens to you, you're not expecting hard things to happen but for us we came to a point where we felt we needed to go our separate ways and after a lot of trying to figure out how to make things better in our relationship, I moved back to Melbourne, um, very much tail between my legs. I remember packing up the car with my belongings and my clothes and patting the dog goodbye mm. and um, saying goodbye to my best friend of, of 10 years and walking mm. out of our home. And yeah, at that time as well, I guess the ministry that I was doing, which revolved around talking about relationships and those sorts of issues, I, it felt like it was the right time for that to finish as well because I didn't really feel like I could be ministering into those sorts of situations when my own personal kind of world was in a difficult spot. So yeah, I was kind of jobless, homeless <laughs> and wifeless and mm. so it was a really kind of hard period came back to Melbourne, moved back in with mum and dad. (laughs) So yeah, life was in a pretty uh, challenging place at that time. That's hard-hitting stuff. That's a lot of stuff. But you were saying to me off-air that actually that was a catalyst for what eventuated in your journey, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And look, um, that's been the story of my life really is that God tends to use the brokenness and the the hard stuff uh, for some, some purpose. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Adrian Rouse, the founder and project manager of Ping Pongathon, a fundraising ministry where people play ping pong to raise money to combat human trafficking in Southeast Asia. We'll hear more of Adrian's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Adrian Rouse, the founder of Ping Pongathon. It's a unique fundraising type ministry that involves people playing ping pong to raise money to combat human trafficking in Southeast Asia. Next, we're going to hear more of Adrian's story and how he started the Ping Pongathons. 
I guess I came home in mid-2011 and was really quite depressed, um, was clinically depressed for several months. I ended up at the end of that year deciding that I would go and volunteer at an NGO in Thailand for a couple of months that was working with young men uh, who were living and working in the in the red light districts in Chiang Mai. And I did that really just because I knew I needed to get some perspective and to stop focusing on my own stuff and I guess invest into young people who were facing much more difficult circumstances than I was. Adrian, thank you for your honesty. You were just sharing with us how you were working with youth and young men in a ministry capacity with your wife, who's no longer your wife at this point in time, but the relational split there was a catalyst that actually sent you on your own personal journey. Tell us how you actually got to go to Thailand to be a volunteer there, what you got involved with and what has eventuated. Yeah, look, I've been um, passionate around issues of human trafficking and exploitation of young people for quite some time, but... You know, I'd never really done anything about it. Um, often you, you know, you hear things that move you and stir you, but sometimes we fail to act when that happens. And so I'd done that over probably a number of years. You know, I would read a book or I would see a website and I'd get stirred up and think, oh, I must do something. But then that would dissipate and I would end up doing nothing. So I ended up having an opportunity to join a, an exposure trip back in 2010 to go and just visit Thailand briefly to learn about the issues more and be exposed to them. And from there, I really became passionate about the issues. So I guess when I split up with my ex-wife, yeah, I guess I wanted to do something that mattered Um, for that year. It had been a terrible year. And so I went to Thailand and volunteered at an organisation that I'd been just supporting personally for a couple of years. Look, I went and volunteered and the young people that we were working with there captured my heart, I guess, um, got under my skin and I knew that I would do anything to help these young people get out of their situations of horrendous exploitation and abuse for many of them. You know, as I volunteered there for a couple of months, I ended up being offered uh, the role of the director of the organisation just for a 12-month period to really help the organisation get better set up and become, I guess, stable for, for growth in the future. My first thoughts about going to Chiang Mai and engaging in this kind of work um Probably my first feeling was a deep apprehension um, (laughs) because I'd always worked and ministered in a context of um, Australia Mm -hmm. and always ministered in the context of the church. Mm -hmm. And so for me to step out of that very safe context that I knew very well into, you know, and growing up in a middle class, reasonably conservative middle class um, Melbourne suburb, Um, and stepping into essentially the red light areas of Chiang Mai and working with these young men that were, most of them were engaging in sex work as a means Mm. of survival. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was thinking, what what are these boys going to be like and how am I as a middle-class conservative Aussie guy going to relate to them and and connect with them and how am I going to help them, you know, stepping into a culture that I don't understand, a language that I don't know. Mm. So there was a lot of apprehension, I guess, but um, look, that quickly, quickly was kind of demolished um, 
because I found really quickly that um, that these these boys we had boys as young as seven or eight that we would um, have come to our centre and young men as old as in their late twenties, but they quickly became friends and I heard their stories and. You know, I had some amazing experiences of just incredible um, grace and generosity that was given to me. Um, you know, sometimes we think when we're going to go and do mission work or we go overseas and we think that we have all the answers and we're going to help everyone. But as um, I experienced, sometimes it's us that need to learn things and to receive things. And look, some of the most precious things I've ever received from people happened in that time that I was there. Now, I remember you saying just before how you're an avid tennis player when you were young. We're talking about table tennis here, ping pong. You're back in Australia at the moment. This is the fourth year that you've been involved with the ping pong-a-thon. You're engaging, what, Aussie men? How can these other Aussie guys with you help to support the people that you've lived and worked with in Thailand? Yeah, sure. Well, look, it, it really started as an experiment. Yeah. Um, and that was really because I was seeing that when it comes to these sorts of issues, there are a lot of women engaged on these issues. Mm-hmm. A lot of the organisations in Asia are started by women and all the volunteers are women. But there's a lack of engagement from men when it comes to these issues. And that has always concerned me because men are clearly a big part of the problem when it comes to these issues. And so I I believe that men should be a big part of the solution as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just started this event as an experiment, started with about 15 of my mates and we got together. I don't really know where the idea came from. (laughs) I'm not brilliant at table tennis. I'm okay at it. But we just got together and we, um, we ran it the first year. And between us, we kept the the game going for 24 hours and we ended up raising $10,000. So hang on, so 15 young guys, a continuous game of table tennis for 24 hours and how much did you say? Uh, We raised 10,000, but it wasn't just young guys. We had some older guys too. Young at heart, young guys. um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We just realised that there was something special that came out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there was the money that was raised, which went to organisations, which did some great work. But also we saw that the event helps guys to just take a first step when it comes to being an activist. Yeah. Um, and it's an easy step. It's a fun step. You sign up to play three hours of table tennis or six or more if you want to. Um, and you simply ask your family and friends to sponsor you. And in that process, you know, guys get asked questions of what, what are you raising the money for? What's it going to do? Yeah. And so guys need to just learn a little bit to be able to answer those questions. And you see guys through that process actually begin to get a heart for the issues, which can lead to other steps of, of activism uh, for some of them. So, And, you know, just beyond that, you know, the friendships and the sense of community at the event, like it's just a really exciting to be a part of something that's not only fun, but you're actually doing something that is going to change someone's life mm. by playing table tennis. I mean, how good is that? 
Fantastic. And you've come under the banner of uh, P42 Inc. What What is that organisation? So P4T, um, they're called Partnering for Transformation is their longer name. Ah, yep. And um, really P4T is all about helping to build community that is based on um, fairness, and where everyone finds their place and can call a place home. Mm. Uh, so P4T do all sorts of different aspects to their work. That's really what P4T is all about. So if anyone's interested to jump on board, grab a ping pong bat, <laughs> be involved, help with your fundraising, have fun and rally some mates, where can they go? What's the best way to make contact? Yeah, look, it's really, really easy. Yeah. All you need to do is go to the website, which is pingpongathon.com. Not pingpongathon, but pingpongathon.com. And you just sign up. You choose the venue that you want to uh, participate in. We've got 25 across Australia. Okay. And you choose what time you want to play, um, what three-hour time slot. And then you turn up at your venue, you play table tennis, have a whole lot of fun. And in the process... After you've signed up, you just send an email out, put a post on Facebook and link people back to your fundraising page and they can sponsor you and lives get changed. Really, you're just seeking three hours of table tennis playing during the event. Is that right? That's it. And if guys want to play for more, they can sign up for six. Well, God bless you, Adrian. I trust and hope it goes really, really well. I would say you'd have to be an abolitionist in your own right. You're really passionate about the cause of combating sexual exploitation, especially in Thailand. And again, the website, if people are interested, Ping Pong Athon with an N, not a G on the end, (laughs) .com is the place to go, even if you're nowhere near one of the locations for a ping pong game and you feel it on your heart to perhaps give financially to the cause. Adrian, you've got a great heart. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You're doing it under very limited financial resources. It truly is a passion. I've been chatting with Adrian Rouse, the founder of the Pong, and um, God bless you as you continue house-sitting on that lovely catamaran there in Melbourne. I'll enjoy it while I can. <laughs> Wish you well, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for your time. Thanks. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Adrian Rouse, the founder and project manager of a unique fundraising-type ministry called Ping Pongathon. It involves people playing ping-pong for long periods of time to raise money to combat human trafficking and the exploitation of young people in Southeast Asia. This conversation was recorded in 2014, and since that time, the ministry has grown exponentially and has now gone international, with several events held in the United States. Since its start in 2011, the Pong movement has now raised more than $1.8 million to combat slavery. That is incredible. To learn more about Ping Pongathon and how it has grown, their website is pingpongathon.com. That's pingpongathon.com. Well, thanks for joining us for Adrian's unique and inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I rang him and I said, what does this mean? And he said, I want you to do a talk on attitude at our next meeting. So what I did was I collected a few hats that I had to depict different attitudes, happy, glad, Mm -hmm. sad, both good and bad attitudes. And then that's how it really started. From that, I enhanced that with different outfits. 
Carol Berry always had a talent for playing charades, but never knew how her acting gift could be used in her life. That was until she became a Christian and began using drama and portraying characters to illustrate spiritual truths. We'll find out Carol's story next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.